This is day 106 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Psalm chapters 48 through 52. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are so great, and you are greatly to be praised. We don't do that enough, Lord. We are your people, and yet your own people don't praise you enough. We don't recognize you in every situation, good or bad. Shame on us, Lord. Shame on us for not treating you as you deserve, even though you treat us better than we deserve. Lord, thank you for being a good example for us, and thank you for loving us as you do and not giving up on us. Lord, as we go into your word today, please bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. For lo, the kings assembled themselves, they passed by together. They saw it, then they were amazed. They were terrified. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there, anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. Selah. We have thought on your loving kindness, O God in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth will speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. Why should I fear in days of adversity, when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me? Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, and that he should not undergo decay. For he sees that even wise men die, the stupid and the senseless alike perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure, 
He is like the beasts that perish. That is the way of those who are foolish, and of those after them who approve their words. Selah. As sheep they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning, and their form shall be for Sheol to consume, so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Selah. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding is like the beasts that perish. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, has spoken, and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the beauty of perfection, God has shone forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before him, and it is very tempestuous around him. He summons the heavens above, and the earth to judge his people. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to tell of my statutes, and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. 
Now consider this, you who forget God, for I will tear you to pieces, and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving-kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction, like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. Salah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent, and uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous will see and fear, and will laugh at him, saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and was strong in his evil desire.
But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever, because you have done it. And I will wait on your name, for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. Okay, Psalm 48 is the beginning of what's called the Zion Psalms. And these are when they're talking about Zion, which is the highest portion of Jerusalem itself. The psalmist typically uses Zion as an illustration of the highness of God, as well as its most, his most precious possession, his most precious city and dwelling place, which is at the temple, which is at Zion. And so we see the psalmist praising God and Zion, his dwelling place, and showing that we offer thanksgiving to God, we trust in him, and that he is our guide forever and ever. He calls upon God in verse 12 to walk about Zion and go around her, count her towers. Not that he wants God to literally do that, but just to remember this place that you have called your dwelling place. Consider it with great significance, Lord, that you may honor us and we may be blessed by you. So I hope that we can do the same in light of this, that we should be walking around Zion ourselves. And what I mean by this is how often do we get our head in the clouds? And when I mean head in the clouds, I mean how often do we get lost in thought about the things of God? That is what we are called to do in the New Testament. We're called to think of the things above and not on the things below. I can't say this as someone who's mastered this yet, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says that we are to walk around Zion as if we are in God's presence. Walk around God's presence and count his blessings, count his towers, count his ramparts. Think of all the things in the Bible that he's done that made him victorious. All the, thing, all the times where he shamed his enemies. All the times that he rescued his people. All the times he was faithful and loving and gracious to these people. This is what we should be dwelling in. Because, because God is our God forever and ever. And surely we should have him as priority number one in our thoughts. And most often, it's not that case, but it should be. And when we have this awareness, that just should spur us and encourage us to improve in some ways. If we need to take the baby steps, then let's take baby steps. But let's take some steps at all, or it will never happen. Then we move to Psalm chapter 49, which is a wisdom psalm. And again, by the sons of Korah, this psalm is more of a psalm of instruction to remind human beings to listen to the truth of God and who he is and obey him. So a couple of things he tells us to do here is not to trust in our wealth, not to trust in our resources or in our strength. 
And this one was interesting as well, is that this is another point where it mentions that we are each responsible for our own salvation. God holds us all individually accountable. We do not have to be held accountable for anybody else's salvation. Now, does that mean that we should not worry about teaching our kids to be godly since we're not responsible for them? Of course we are. We ultimately, at the end of the day, are not the ones that make the decision for them, though, but we do show them what is the right way to go. And the Lord honors that, as we're going to read in the Proverbs. But this is also important because if you go into other world religions, like even Roman Catholicism, that there are things that you can do to affect someone else's salvation, whether living or dead. In the case of Catholics, you know, the requiems, you know, the prayers for the dead, you know, doing penance, the absolutions, the indulgences that can pay the sins of somebody who's in purgatory, get them out of purgatory faster. So the whole system is messed up because you're trying to get somebody out of an imaginary place with imaginary things in a way that you are not accountable for their salvation. So it's a waste, and there's so many people that continually waste their time trying to do that. He even says it right here, verse 7, No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. It's clear as day in the Bible. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever. Why should you try? It's a waste of time, God is saying here. It is a waste of time. Man cannot purchase from God additional days to extend your life, nor can you affect someone else's salvation in a way where you can take the burden of their accountability for them. You can't. He concludes the psalm by cautioning men to not be proud. Pride is the fall of many people. And that's why, if know this about the Bible. If the Bible ever repeats itself multiple times, especially in very close proximity to each other, God is trying to get our attention to this point specifically, because it is important for us to remember. And here it is, verses 12 and 20. Man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. Or verse 20. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. What does it mean for pomp? It's that idea of pride, that arrogance. Pride should not be part of our life because it will cause us to fall. Psalm chapter 50 is the first psalm that we see from Asaph, the singer of the time of David. And he writes a psalm here that does have some prophetic message to it. And it talks about God's judgment. And when people try to give him sacrifices that are just a waste of time, 
because there's no heart in them. He tells us, you're trying to give me something that I already have. Let me remind you that everything belongs to me. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Every bird of the mountain, everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Everything is God's. You own nothing. So let's not get into our heads that it's me, it's about me, I did this, I achieved this. No, you didn't. It's not even you. It's not even about you. It's about God. He allows you to exist, but he will not share the spotlight with you. He wants a spotlight for himself, and he deserves it. So our job is to enhance and brighten that spotlight that's on him instead of trying to get our time on the limelight. That's not what it's for. And when we offer thanksgiving and praise to God and a sacrifice, now it may be a physical sacrifice it's talking about here, but I think it's more of a spiritual sacrifice, repentance and a humility. When you do that and you pay your vows to the Most High, He responds and He says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. How amazing is that? That if you are in trouble, he will rescue you. And you will honor him. That is a promise that you will honor him. And that he promises he will rescue you. But do we call upon him when we need him? Now, for those that do not call upon him, he has a very stern, scary response for that. Verse 22. Now consider this, you who forget God. I can't really tell here if this is talking about someone who is actively trying to forget God. In other words, you are saved or you are knowledgeable about the things of God and you're purposely choosing to ignore it. Or if it's talking about the world in general and those who are sinners that have not been redeemed. I'm not sure. But either way. It seems like it's more for the unsaved because it says that I will tear you to pieces. And God won't tear us to pieces if we're his children. So it has to be the unsaved. And there will be no one to deliver. Ooh, that's scary. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. Very interesting. Then we go to Psalm 51. This one is beautiful. It's sad, but it's such a beautiful psalm because there is so much in here that we need to know. And when I have been in sin and I repent, this is my go-to psalm. This is my repentance psalm. Because this whole prayer is a psalm dedicated by David when Nathan the prophet came to him and told him that parable about the man who had taken this precious animal and then killed it 
And he said, that man deserves to die. And then Nathan, I can imagine pointing at him saying, David, you are the man. What you did with Bathsheba was wrong. I'm calling you out on it, and God has declared judgment on you. So for a few reasons, David is very much afraid because in the law of Moses, what he did was blood guiltiness. And what that means is that it is the kind of guilt where you deserve to die. It is basically the punishment is the death penalty. And he's going to be begging God to not kill him. So there's several things we need to understand from this particular chapter. For one is the very first verse, be gracious to me. Lord, be gracious, because we understand that everything is based off the grace of God. God's grace and his decisions determine the course of the entire universe. So we petition to God to have mercy on us. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. That idea to completely drown them to where they are unrecognizable and they no longer exist. Wash me thoroughly and cleanse me from my sin. For I know what I've done, right? I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's right here. It is exposed. And I am wanting to repent of it. And this is important to note, verse 4. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So, is he saying that he did not harm Bathsheba in any way, or it didn't affect anyone else? No, that's not what he's saying, but what he's acknowledging is that, God, I violated your expectations. You have rules and standards and laws, and I broke them all. And I am accountable to you for punishment. Then he mentions in verse 5 that why he did it, or rather why he is prone to doing this, because he is a sinner. He was born a sinner, and he says it right here in the Old Testament. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Not that his mother was a sinner or was sleeping around or anything. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I was born into that sinful nature that I cannot escape from. It's in my very nature to do the things that I've done. But, Lord, what you want from us is truth and Wisdom in our inner parts, our hidden being, the inner man, inner woman, who you are on the inside that nobody else sees. What is it that he's going to see there? And what he wants to see there is truth and wisdom. Then he talks about in verse 7, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. What is that? Well, hyssop is a plant and the branches, the leaves of it, are very rough. Imagine like the, if you have a baby bottle, you know how you have those little brushes that you can use to clean the baby bottles with, that has those bristles at the end. It's kind of like that, but you find them in nature. So imagine you're asking God to get those very rough 
brushes and just scrape you, scrape you clean, get all the junk off of you and make me as white as snow. Wash me and uh, that I may be clean. That kind of cleanliness is achievable when God says he forgives you. And this is one that we should be praying often. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Make me clean and help me stay there. I don't want to fall away from you anymore. I want to repent and stay in your presence and not violate it again. Verse 11, we have to understand here, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This was a little bit different in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, people could lose the Holy Spirit because he wasn't taking permanent residence in people. We have seen it many times so far where we see the Holy Spirit fall upon someone mightily and something amazing happens in response. Even in times of when they're not doing the best thing, I find that very interesting. You think of Samson, right? Samson being very strong and chosen by God as in the Nazarite vow and all this stuff. And there's times where he is doing something that is not really what God would approve of, I would think. And yet the Holy Spirit is debated within him and he does something crazy. And it's for God's purposes that it happens when those things happen. So his understanding was back then that the Holy Spirit would leave his side if he were to misbehave. Maybe he learned that from Saul, because that's what happened to Saul, remember? We saw that the Holy Spirit came upon Saul for a time, and he was not obedient to God. So at one point, God took his Holy Spirit out and put a deceiving spirit, an evil spirit, in him that tormented him and was only soothed by the harp of David. Today, the Holy Spirit takes permanent residence in a Christian and since Pentecost. So there is no way that the Holy Spirit will leave you once he has entered you. He has no desire to leave because you have been chosen by him and he has left himself in residence within you as proof of that, as a pledge for our eternal security. This one, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Do we have joy in our salvation? Do we feel energized and excited to be God's children and do things for his kingdom? We should be. If we're not, then we're doing something wrong. We're distracted by things of this world. I say this as somebody who struggles with this from time to time. This is what he is requiring us to do. We should have joy in our salvation. We have been delivered from judgment forever. We're going to be with the Lord forever. A privilege majority of the world doesn't have. And what are we doing with it? Nothing? 
I hope that's not the case. And then David understands the true intent behind the sacrificial system. And this is, again, old knowledge. This is not anything new that was revealed for the first time in the New Testament. Verse 16. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. If you just wanted me to kill animals to satisfy you, Lord, I will do it. But I know that's not what you want. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God, the true unadulterated sacrifices of God, are a broken spirit, someone who has been humbled, someone who bows in submission to the Lord, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. That word contrite is a very powerful word to feel contrition, that deep guilt, that understanding that you have violated something very sacred, and we intend to fix it. We know that by now God will help us fix it, right? And then lastly, we have chapter 50. We have chapter 52, which David wrote this while he was being If you remember the story in 1 Samuel where David ran to meet Samuel in a place called Nob and he went to the man Ahimelech, who was a priest, and he gave him the showbread. And then he took Goliath's sword and took off. And then there was a man there named Dog, the Edomite. And Dog was the one that saw everything, and he went and told Saul that David was there. That's when David wrote it. So it makes me think that David knew the whole time that Dog was there. Because otherwise, he would not have written this. He doesn't understand. I feel that way sometimes, too. I don't understand why people choose to be as evil as they are. Do they not understand God will break them down one day? Verse 5, God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see in fear and will laugh at him, saying, you trusted in yourself instead of trusting in God, and look what it got you. We see David want to compare himself to a green olive tree in the house of God. And back then, olive trees were a symbolism for prosperity and longevity, simply because olive trees can get to be very old age as well as olive oil and olives were a precious commodity in those days. So certainly being compared to an olive tree was a very good thing. And David wants to be like an olive tree in the house of God, planting his roots in deep and absorbing all that knowledge and all that wisdom, just soaking in and basking in God's presence. Such wonderful thoughts. So yeah, my commentary is 
about double the length of the actual reading, as I hope I'm not coming across as I'm rambling, but I certainly think there's plenty to extract from the text here, and I have only scratched the surface. I'm trying not to go too deep, because I will either just not stop talking, or I risk being wrong. And spend time with God on this. I don't claim to be an expert on all this stuff, but what I do know, I know. And that's what I share with you. And if I don't know, I'll say it. I have limited knowledge of the Bible. But the one who can teach us is the one who guides us through this every day. I am not a teacher. I'm a guide. I'm showing you where it is, and the Holy Spirit himself teaches. But, as always, if you would rather just listen to the scriptures, then just I always put the time stamp on each episode to where you wanted to stop it whenever you know I'm going to start talking. You don't want to hear my annoying voice or whatever, then you're welcome to shut it off. But that's why I leave it there intentionally. But anyway, thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and that'll be all for today. Take care, and God bless you.